0: Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, a podcast by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out the DGA website at dga.org and hover over the Craft tab to watch or listen to hours of content, such as past episodes of the Director's Cut, videos of the Guild's 75th anniversary celebration, and long-form interviews from our Visual History program. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Amy Scott's new documentary, How, Set against the backdrop of a rapidly changing America and an even more dramatic shift in filmmaking, the film celebrates the life and work of director Hal Ashby, whose filmography includes the DGA Award-nominated feature Coming Home, as well as the Academy Award-winning classics Harold and Maude, Shampoo, and Being There. Once the toast of new Hollywood in the 1970s, Ashby's obsessive genius but uncompromising nature became an archetypal story of art versus industry. HAL was screened as part of the DGA's documentary series, which aims to spotlight groundbreaking nonfiction films for DGA members and guests by presenting screenings of documentaries as well as conversations with their directors. The film is Ms. Scott's directorial debut and premiered at the 2018 Sundance Film Festival, where it was nominated for the Documentary Grand Jury Prize. After the documentary series screening of HAL at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Ms. Scott spoke with director Chuck Workman about making the film. During their discussion, Ms. Scott talks about why she thought the film needed to be made, being a fellow editor-turned-director like the subject of her film, and what she learned from Hal as a filmmaker.
1: Um, So, um, for me and others who remember those days and were not born days, like Amy was, uh, Hal Ashby was tremendous, tremendous influence. And uh, yeah, we knew he got stoned a lot. But the movies themselves, if you can imagine someone having six hits in a row. I mean, they talk about Bogdanovich having three in a row. Six hits in a row today. It would have just been... Crazy. But I don't think he was looking to make hits. I think he was just looking to make movies that he wanted to make. So um, I hope he's here watching and he got to see this movie because it is it does pay tribute, I think, to him uh, in in a, in a great way. And Amy also was an editor, and still is probably, right? And uh, so that also uh, is part of it. And I think we, we were talking, trying to figure out how many very big editors of A-movies moved into directing of A-movies, we came up with um, Lean, Wise, and Ashby. And I can't really think... I mean, there are many editors who... People come out of the cutting room and direct, but I can't really think of anybody that moved in that huge horizontal move. Uh, So uh, this is a tribute to editors, which, of course, is... uh, I think great, and you think great, right? Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a question. Um, uh, He says as an editor, and you quote him, the film will tell you what to do. So what did his films tell you to do?
2: (laughs) They told me to keep cutting and recut and recut and cut and cut and cut. That's what he said. You know, look at it again every single time, turn it upside down, inside and out. You, the, the the film we were we my two producers are here Brian Morrow and Christine Beebe. we worked on this for for five years we cut for two or three years and so this was you know like a real snake on its tail as you know editing is you start off thinking you're making this film and and then you keep getting at least for documentaries we kept getting more and more footage that would inform the edit and I'd recut and recut and recut and recut <laughs> and recut it was, it was brutal, but, but it was, but then it was beautiful. I mean, the film emerged, you know, I didn't have anything to do with the, the final thing. I felt like, uh, you know, I was sort of like drinking the only, you know, my own, the Kool-Aid after a while, I was like thinking Hal is up there, like pulling the strings <laughs> in terms of where the cut was going and what we were going to reveal. And, um, so yeah, it, it just taught me, you know, the film will tell you what to do just means work, work hard. It's going to, it's gonna reveal itself. Did
1: you have a bed in the cutting room and smoke a lot of marijuana at the same time?
2: <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, at times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we cut this in so many different. We cut. I mean, I cut it in my house at night. I had two kids, so when they would go to bed or nap, you know, and you're like in a new, newborn, new parent, you know, haze. So it was like I felt like that was a like constant. I was just editing. They'd nap. I was editing, and then we, would yeah, yes, to it, yes. <laughs> Not so much on the pot side.
1: And had you um, seen any of that equipment that that he was working on? Those old film Have I, had machines? I seen it before? I mean, had you worked on those at all?
2: Uh, yeah, minimally. I mean, um, yeah, I worked in Chicago. I was archiving WGN's film collection for a while, and so I did. I did. You know, I didn't do. I didn't do theatrical. You know, I wasn't editing on a on a cam. Uh-huh. Um, I was born in 1976, so <laughs> <laughs> most of my work is in the digital realm.
1: Some of us were editing before the chem.
2: No. I, yeah. It's super surreal to be here right now with you guys. <laughs> this like I never would have dreamed this was happening. So
1: Well, it's a worthy subject. So how it did is. you come up with this subject that, that no one had I I'm there probably was one film or another about Hal Ashby, but yeah, there it, was, something um, that was so Comprehend, oh, comprehensive is yeah, this one
2: it was strange so i mean i'm a, a fan not a fan like a super fan actually of, of 70s cinema i think it's the greatest era in, in, of filmmaking in in this um it's one of the things that is like an american treasure uh and i studied his films and they informed my creative decisions on i mean they informed my it, those films when we were talking about mccabe and mrs miller like it informed the music that I listened to and the clothes that I chose to wear. So there was like kind of an obsessive fetishization of '70s culture. And then I read um, Nick Dawson, It's in the film. He wrote, you know, a book about how, uh, which I think I read on a flight back and forth somewhere. And I thought it was really great. And I was imagine, I was like, oh, I've seen the movie because I was. Im- it was written so well that I could imagine the scenes and. So then when I got home. I was like, "I'll oh, I'll Google. It'll be on Amazon. I'll rent it." And it wasn't there. And I was like, "What's going? On? Okay." And so I did some research, and it seemed completely insane to me that that it hadn't been made. And then and then I was you know sort of compelled to to do it. And then told everyone I knew that I was doing it before it was like a real thing. You know, you're just kind of like crazy talking about it, and then got my producers on board.
1: And did you? Um- did you run into people uh that didn't have the faintest idea who you were talking about?
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of people don't. Even it was shocking though, even um people that I you know loved <laughs> and trusted and we'd have long <laughs> conversations about film, and they were like, who is Hal Ashby? And it was like offensive to me almost. And I was like, this is this this can't stand. We have to make this movie.
1: Um There's another quote that you have in the movie. Um uh, of Jewison's, and uh, directing is like going to war. You have to fight and defend yourself. So how did Hal do that?
2: Well, he How didn't did he
1: go to war? I mean, we know he went to war with producers in the end in well, the I last mean, th- 10 years.
2: No, I think he did it. We, we tried. We tried to build a case. Um, Norman instilled those values in him early, like, you know, the studio is not your friend. And I feel like in every film that we looked at and looked closely and we went through his letters and I could find Hal would fire off these crazy memos back to the studios that were like, how bossy is it to do that? Like, I can't believe he would say these things because he disagreed with the marketing because it wasn't in line with what the film was about. Like, he had, he was so passionate about the project that... He would not compromise. He wouldn't bow down to marketing or biz dev or you know whoever was coming in to to take the project away. I mean, and he fought it in his whole life until the end. And you know,
1: uh, do you think that he that after in the ten years that he finished in the last ten years of his career, yeah. just to go on with what you were just brought up, there there are people that feel that that some directors go downhill because they stop getting the good scripts. From the studios, they get the B minus ones that someone has already already turned down. Uh, do you think that's what happened to him? I mean, it was really interesting for me. Uh, I don't know for everyone else to see that part of your film and how you handled that, and very sensitively, I thought. You know, so w- tell us more about that that period.
2: Well, I mean, I wasn't there. So this is secondhand, you know, collection well, th- of research. Fine, yeah. Um, my opinion, I, I don't know if it was necessarily that he wasn't getting the good scripts. I mean, he got Tootsie, you know, it was a matter of, I think he, he, he was going to do the Hawkline monster, Richard, Richard Brodigan, which would have been incredible. He had developed that for years. He had like, I don't know, some crazy amount of projects that he was in development in when he died. Um, I think he was constantly searching for the good stories. I, I just think they shut him out. I think, I think they, he wasn't going to play ball, and he wasn't, um, you know, he was, for whatever reasons, a drug, you know, they labeled him as a drug casualty. I just think yeah. they, they iced him, and, um, you know, it's too bad. <laughs> I, think if, I think if Titsy had gone his way, it, it would have been a completely different story for him in the end, in the third act.
1: And and why didn't he end up doing Tootsie? It was not quite clear from the film.
2: It was a legal battle. He was still cutting um he had to do a director's cut of the previous film. And he had he had actually done it, but they were um, you know, apparently throwing Laura Mar was although Peter Barr would probably tell you a different story, but they um <laughs> no, they Peter Barr tells
1: you a straight story yeah, so most of the time. We should
2: yeah. ask Peter. <laughs> um yeah we can uh, ask Peter. yeah uh it was just it was legal, you know it was like they they he wasn't delivering the film that they wanted him to deliver on the previous film, and they um you know they were going to seek uh, injunction or whatever the legal term is for
1: and um, uh, I don't think people know about that he was involved with Tootsie, I certainly didn't, and uh it wasn't sort of the kind of thing you would read in the trades uh no. but
2: imagine that stuff happened a lot though oh it happened you, you all guys the time would know yeah, more than yeah. i would
1: yeah yeah we old guys we know about that. doesn't <laughs> happen anymore luckily that no one ever gets fired or has any problem.
2: oh yeah i know
1: so do you think he's been forgotten a little bit did you find that in working on the film over all those years that uh you know people I, don't remember they may know altman or they may know Certainly know Coppola and Scorsese, and uh, but they may not know him.
2: I mean, strange. So I just feel like we live in a society that doesn't necessarily value history in the same way that we did pre-internet, if that makes sense. Um, totally. Yeah. There's a. It's we're so click and we're gone, and click and new information and we're gone, and outrage here, and so I, yeah, I think and like the collective conscious, like sure, in in some sense. But when we interviewed, that's why I wanted to get sort of like new directors to talk about him. They were like overflowing with emotion to talk about this guy and how he was such an influence. And um, so, you know, there's this direct lineage of of filmmaking that you could trace back to him. So that was validating. I mean, it was a a hunch that we all had, you know. yeah. So, yeah. Yes and no. I mean, for the public, sure. That's why we that's why we made it. So.
1: And how do you think he would do today? In, in more oh, of a corporate world d- and more of a result oriented and and yeah, blockbuster it's, oriented. It's,
2: it's different, though. It's, I mean, now you, you it's kind of like gone back around again because you can it's democratized in some sense. I mean, you can. I don't think Hal Ashby would need a crowd fund, but he could if he wanted to. He could, And we tried to say that in the last few lines. I mean, he was just getting like turned on to digital technology. I think he would be thrilled. I think he would thrive. You know, like a film like Lady Bird, like he would kill something like that. It's that Lady Bird's Harold Maud. I think it would be great.
1: Okay, I wanted to ask you also um, about, if I can find it, Oh, I know what I want to do. I want to ask the producers. The two of the producers are here. Uh, uh, where are they?
2: Christine Beebe and
1: Brian Morrison. You guys stand up. Brian Morrow. Brian Morrow, sorry. And um, from what I heard at dinner, they worked pretty closely uh, with Amy all the way through. And uh, that's terrific. So how did you feel as producers... Of hal ashby's attitude toward producers
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs> uh, i uh, also wanted to ask um the about the interviews, which were very impressive that oh, the people that you got together i mean, you got just about everybody you wanted a few maybe you know wheedled out but um, was uh, And this was your first film, so you said your first scene was with Jane Fonda. Yeah,
0: that's a little
2: terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's Jane Fonda, she's terrifying. She's, she's, you know, she's a goddess. She's like, I was like tripping over myself with like, oh, it's love everything you stand for, and you're so wonderful, (laughs) and like the blah, you know, she's like, okay, let's talk about Hal. But, I mean, it was a testament to Hal Ashby. Like, you know, there's very few people that you could walk in a room or, like, call any, I mean, we were shocked. It was always like, we got Lou Gossett, we got, you know, whoever, all of those people, Um, and they would just email us back on their personal accounts, like Jeff Bridges, like, sure, yeah. Can we look at cuts? Oh, my God.
1: Yeah, a lot of those people are are not like like some of them you can see, but I mean you don't see everybody.
2: No, Cat Stevens. I mean we chased him for Uh, years. Cat Stevens was amazing.
1: Yeah, to have that. Yeah, that was. uh,
2: Yeah, we got I think we got patted down for his interview. You did? Yeah. No kidding. You know, Islamophobia and all that. Yes, of course. So yeah, they had to make sure we were legit. He was wonderful. He was great.
1: No, he was great, and the music really helped a lot in the film. You know. Oh, yeah. And Ashby also was great with music, as we know. You know, mm-hmm. so uh, it uh, it all kind of spins around. Okay, anybody have any questions for Amy? I, I, it's hard for you to see in this light, so I'll just. Uh...
2: No, that uh, paid for most of the inter- shooting, the interviews, um, and then yeah, my producers—they um, put in a lot of money, and we. Um, had at the at the very you know, as we had to cross the finish line and go to Sundance, we were sweating it like we're not going to afford to. We can't afford to get the movie back from Color to play next month, and um and then we did find a uh, uh, another investor to come in. So, right guys, I think that was yeah. It was pretty stressful. There is yeah. Uh, so, mm hmm. A uh, oscilloscope. Um, owns the film now and they uh, were opening in new york september 7th and in la september 14th at new art so yeah and then select markets I'm very happy
1: yeah
2: oh bob's great i mean you guys probably all know him <laughs> he's great he was fantastic um lots of story i mean we could have talked to bob for days all these guys though like i wanted to I wanted like Robert Town. I was like, I just want to talk about Chinatown. Like there's so many other things I wanted to talk to them about. Um yeah, I mean we didn't uh, get, you know, Warren Beatty, we didn't get Bud Court. There was, um we didn't get Jack Nicholson. I think those were the big three that we wanted. Um yeah.
1: Oh, don't tell anybody. I mean,
2: yeah, circle. Uh yeah, trust. all the way
1: in the back in the middle.
2: Oh okay, the Stones film. Um yeah, there, there was, like, some lore around that about how was, like, passed out on a gurney. And was it, like, the lore was that he was, you know, a junkie. And that, that wasn't true. Caleb, um, you know, shot or was one of the cameramen sort of organizing things. And Caleb and Pablo um, worked on that with Hal. I, guess, I think Pablo co-directed it, Pablo Faro, with Hal. Um, Hal had pneumonia. And so he was uh, on an IV directing backstage. So... Um yeah, but I mean I'm sure you can imagine what that was like given the subject and the time. <laughs> Probably pretty crazy. And they had like how many cameras? They had like 50 cameras or some, some cr- crazy amount of cameras and oh, Caleb tells the story. It was we couldn't get into all these details cuz not enough time in the film, but I guess they they were all on the same radio channel like okay, we're all going to we're all going to shoot at the same time, you know, when Mick does this jump or something. And the uh, radio like went out. So no one, they had no communication. So everybody just was going rogue. Like nothing was, so they got the footage back and it was just insane. But I was like, you know, how's an editor? I'm sure I can fix it. Sync it up. They were at the library. They were at the academy. Our uh, researcher, uh, Lisa Jansen, found them. Um, they were at the Margaret Herrick library and, you know, go down there and make an appointment. And that was r- exhilarating actually to sit there and go through years of correspondence. There were so many letters that we couldn't fit in the film because there just wasn't a pl- place for it fit. Like this one, I remember it was like, uh, um, like he's writing to his, the cat, uh, the crew early on, um, uh, maybe around Thomas crown or somewhere in there. And he's like, had a, had a look at the bible last night guys hope we never make anything like that you know like it was <laughs> like whoa <laughs> and that was it you know like you're captain billy bob or something there were so many great ones but um Nor- norman didn't have any of them and so it was really special when we filmed with norman um like brian like you gave the letters you're like here's your correspondence with your best friend and and it was like so emotional for him to see There and it was letters back and forth. We had all of Norman's letters to Hal too, and so he could go back. and It was really emotional for everybody, but especially for him to see.
1: Has the family any of the family seen this film?
2: Well, Lee, his daughter, um, um, yeah, (laughs) she went with us to Sundance, so um, she's uh, you know it was hard with Lee because she was so vulnerable in the film. You know they never met really after she was born um so it was it was a hard interview and it was a hard edit um and i was never sure what she would think about the film or if she would want to see it or so she now she's very much in you know um in support of it um he had a brother jack um but jack passed away while we were making the film so yeah
1: I think that uh, we're about out of questions unless anybody else has anything else. Uh, is there one more question? Go ahead. Okay, I think we have to stop. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, unless that was a really great question. But thank you very much, uh, Thank you. Uh, My pleasure. Okay. And um, you could tell all your friends that it'll be out in September and to go see it. And thanks so much. This is a, a, actually a very good crowd uh, not just good in quality but in quantity too so that's there might be interest in this thank you everyone very much
2: thank you everybody
0: thanks for coming thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A if you'd like to hear more you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts In the coming weeks, we'll hear from directors Shauna Festi and Lauren Greenfield, so be sure to click subscribe so you won't miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.